Hello, brethren. Once again, it's good to be back with you as we start this sixth segment of our series, True Pastoring. It'll be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. And what we want to look at here is not only the true reasons a, a true shepherd will not bend, be persuaded, but will stay the course and no matter what, uh, will tell the truth the Bible and nothing but the Bible. Again, today I just uh, I'm excited to be with you, and to uh, we can take great joy that we've gone through this uh, book of First Timothy. Uh, we're going to begin in Titus, and of course end with a great uh, epistle of Second Timothy as Paul is nearing his martyrdom. You know, it's one thing for a pastor to to be able to teach, but it's another thing for a pastor to teach and preach mixed with a demonstration of a life that is absolutely given to the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, let's uh, let's get into 1 Timothy chapter 6. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, we come unto you and dwelling in your marvelous Holy Spirit. It's through him that we have understanding of the word, that we can have real true fellowship and rejoicing in it. The truth is always always the ingredient that sets us free. And Jesus, you said yourself that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. I thank you for giving gifted men, my brethren, that are desiring to pastor uh, and to shepherd in a way that is most pleasing to you. Thank you, Father, again for this time. I pray that you would just bless it, that the Lord Jesus Christ may be lifted up to your glory, Father. Amen. So, brethren, today, again, uh, this last chapter of, of the first epistle of Timothy, um, we want to look at um, not only the, the, the pastor in its, in its true sense, but let me just go ahead and read some of these passages, and we'll get into it, and, and just have a wonderful time together in the Word. First um, Timothy 6.1, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke... Count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not dispute, or excuse me, despise them, because they are brethren. Brothers, serve them, because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. You know, the true shepherd is always a servant of the body of Christ. He's always one not to be exalted or, or, you know, put in high esteem. But as Jesus said, if you want to be great among you, you must be the servant of all. And the same even in the workplace or anywhere we have brethren, just because we might be uh, greatly blessed to have a boss or, uh, you know, management or whatever that or believers that are over us, we should treat them as brethren and love them. And as a scripture said, lift up their interests above our own respecting the position that God has placed them there uh, so that there might be harmony and flowing of peace because the Prince of Peace is always with us. And the people that look at you might get the only glimpse of the of the Prince of Peace living in you. So uh, just because we have those that are, might be over us in earthly rank that are believers, we need to respect them, to love them, to nurture them so that, uh, that the doctrine the doctrine of God himself, which is peace and love, uh, will be honored. Um, and it goes on to say in verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise 
and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of game, from such withdraw yourself. You know, when we when we understand the true doctrine, the true place that the Word and the Shepherd has uh, in the body of Christ, we read in the third verse that into the doctrine which is accord with godliness. That's the end, brethren, of pure doctrine, of unadulterated doctrine that is not corrupted by the the minds of men that, that want gain or have evil suspicions, but the pure doctrine of Christ will always produce a godly life. That is a precedent that's laid down time and time again in the Word of God. That correct doctrine, as Schofield would say, leads to correct living, and that is exactly biblical. Correct understanding of justification leads to the fact that I am justified freely by the blood of Christ. Nothing on my behalf secured my position in favor with God but the blood of Jesus Christ. And my belief in the fact that Jesus Christ was dealing with my sin upon the cross, and he is the remedy for my lost condition. Therefore, the Bible says, I am justified in the sight of God from all things that the law could not justify me. Doctrine such as sanctification. Do we understand in this completeness what sanctification really is? Remember, at the end of the third verse here, it says, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. Correct doctrine and understanding will always lead to a godly life. A godly life, that's where we're after. When I know what sanctification is all about, I know that the moment I believe in Jesus Christ, I am set in Him. I am in Him with position in Him in the heavenlies, set apart for God. Need I also know that sanctification, as I live this life on earth, produces in me a holy life. It produces in me the life of Christ living in me that people might see and believe that our Savior is risen from the dead. He's alive. Remember when Jesus raised Lazarus out of the grave? Remember how he purposely delayed four days so people would not only know that he is dead, but they would, they they had time to mourn and grieve. And yet, when he came, he called Lazarus out of the grave, and people were astonished. And he came out of the grave, and the scripture says that it was such a testimony that they not only wanted to kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus because he bore witness of Christ. That's what a true life is. When we understand we're justified, we're sanctified, we're redeemed. In other words, we're bought back. We're, we're on a slave market, so to speak. We are bought with the blood of Christ. We purchased with the precious blood of Christ. Now we are God's. And so forth. So these doctrines clearly taught and, brethren, clearly lived out through the resurrection of Jesus Christ living in us, it brings a godly life. Apart from that, what you have is pride, 
you are obsessed, verse 4, with disputes and arguments. You, you have envy, you have strife, you have evil suspicions, uh, you have useless wranglings of words, you have men of corrupt mind, um, because they mean, they, they, they think that godliness, or they think that the appearance of it, uh, religion, uh, means great gain. Let's look at these, let's look at verse 6 and 7 real closely, brethren. I'll read down a little bit. Verse 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. It says, And having food and clothing with this we shall be content. Wow. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So godliness brings contentment it brings an ease of life wow i remember reading things about uh you know the apostle paul how he wrote these precious words listen to these things that describe what we're talking about to a true believer he says this is in by the way philippians chapter 4 verse 11 says not that i speak in regard to need for i have learned in whatever state i am to be content i know how to be abased and i know how to abound everywhere and in all things i have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and suffer need why because he says in the next verse i can do all things through christ who strengthens me he could abound and he could suffer need. He could do all things in life because it's Christ who was living in him. It was Christ who was living out his resurrected life through the Holy Spirit in the believer, and he rested in that. So getting back into our text, brethren, now godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And by the way, at the end of that Philippians passage, God promises that he will supply all of our need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Wow. Today we have a proliferation of health and wealth, prosperity teachers, uh, emergent church teachers, teachers that are proclaiming we can have our best life now and how God wants everybody rich and healthy. Well, the Apostle Paul never knew that concept. But what he did know is that life itself was cradled in the palm of our loving Savior. And to rest in that is power. To rest in that is the testimony that God is the giver of life and he is the one that will supply all of our needs. Brethren, as pastors, shepherds, we need to exemplify that because we want to lead people to an understanding of who Jesus Christ, our great shepherd, truly is. He is wonderful. We brought nothing into this world. We're not going to carry anything out. But he meticulously makes sure that he supplies all of our need. Not our greed, but our need. And in that is fullness of joy because God never intended his own to navigate through this life on their own. He always promised to be with us, never to leave us, never to fail us. He goes on to say in verse 8, And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. Contentment. You know, let's talk a little bit about content. Uh, being contented. You know, 
what a fading commodity today. The media, television, uh, everything is screaming at you not to be content. There's something better. There's something more. Always keeping people on the go. People are always nervous and 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 they just have havoc reeking through their mind because there's always something more. To be content is only found in Jesus Christ. When we understand who he is. Do people see Jesus in you, brethren? Do people come to church? Do they just hear a well-taped sermon or well-typed sermon, I should say? Or do they really hear uh, in the message and in the heartfelt understanding and in your life that Jesus Christ is life and life indeed? You know, if he takes care of our eternal life and he gives us joy and he gives us peace, brethren, taking care of our 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 momentary needs down here is nothing for him. It is nothing for him. It is his joy, his privilege to be able to do that on his own so that he might receive the glory. Look at verse 9. It says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You know, the chasing after of, of, of wealth, of material things, will never satisfy because we are spiritual. God created us spiritual beings. Things will rust, money will be blown away, things will decay, but we will live on. So those are the things that really give us joy and contentment, or the things that, that the Lord Jesus Christ feeds and he promises to give us what we need. You know, Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these things will be added unto you. We see that in Matthew chapter 6 and elsewhere. Jesus is saying that, you know, to seek after material things is a waste of time. We want life and we want life indeed. And we want people to know that the Lord Jesus Christ is the prime object of our faith. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, have faith in God. We need to be confident, brethren. Look at verse 10. It says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, pierced themselves through with many a sorrow. Now the King I'm reading out of the New King James, but the King James Version says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now I know that's uh you know, probably in the last hundred or so years kind of received a little um you know scorning for because you know, the root of all evil? Are you serious? Well you think about it, brethren. Um Everything in this world here evolves around money. People murder for money. People get married for money. People do the wrong things for money. People are motivated for money. People wake up in the morning for money. Um, you know, even the scripture says that the craving of the mouth urges us to to go on. So it's it's the money, and people do all kinds of things for money because men, brethren, were not made for money. Men were made for God. Men were made to get their their satisfaction, their living, their drive, their all from God. Yes, we need money. We don't want to we don't want to say that we don't need money, but God will supply what we need. 
God will supply what we need. Our job is to go and to work hard for it, to fend for the needs of our family, and God will take care of everything that we need. But again, you look at verse 10. Again, it's the love of money uh, is root of all kinds of evil, which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Wow, greed. You know, it's like the story of, of in the jungles of South America, they were looking for a certain type of monkey. And they, they had these huge gourds, you know, that grew. And, and they hollowed out the gourd. And, and at the end of the gourd, they would put a little uh, patch of rice. Well, the monkey, in his greed, would stick his arm in there to grab the rice. And when he grabbed on the rice, he would not let it go. So he could not pull his hand out of the gourd. That's how they would catch these monkeys in that part of the region. That's greed, brethren. Where we get something and we, we put all our drive in it, we aren't going to let it go. And, and we think that that brings contentment. We think that it brings purpose. And yet what we find is it brings bondage. It brings the fact that we've strayed from our faith. And uh, we produce sorrows and grief in our life. Oh, how many people at the end of life have grieved and said, only if I had it all over to do again. You know, my father used to have a saying that I never understood until recently. Money is only worth what it can buy. And it certainly can't buy eternal life. It certainly can't buy joy. It certainly can't buy vitality. Because reaching for it in our greediness, we're like that monkey in that gourd. We can't let go. And it, it really enslaves us. In fact, the Proverbs say that the borrower is servant to the lender. Money will always enslave, and especially, not, especially the, the greediness as we go after it. Money is not the answer. The answer is the Lord Jesus Christ who will take care of all of our needs. By the way, brethren, that is where true joy comes from, is when our needs are met and we realize it's the Lord that meets our needs. And he joyously does it because he loves us. Isn't that amazing? He loves us. Verse 11, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Flee those worthless pursuits. And he says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. You know, if you read in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faith. It is a Fruit that is produced through the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Him alone. That is true joy. So first of all, brethren, I want to look again at verse 11. But you, O man of God. I'm speaking to you, pastors, now. You, O man of God. You who have been called of God. You have given your life to Him. You have crossed that threshold and there's no turning back. You know, I, I have a, a good friend who used to sing the song, No Turning Back, No Turning Back. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. I love how, how Paul is addressing this to young Timothy. But you, O oh man of God. I plead with you, pastors, O oh man of God, flee the love of money. Flee the things that you think that will bring you joy in this world. 
but I ask you to pursue. We're going to see later on in his second uh, second epistle how he's he's known Timothy's manner of life, or excuse me, Timothy has known Paul's manner of life, his purpose, his faith, and we're going to see that in the second epistle. That's what he pursued, his purpose of life. What is your purpose of life, brethren, personally? Remember, we are Christians before we have been called pastors. Settle your work without and then make your home. We are Christians. We are following Jesus Christ. We're pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. We pursue this as Christians, but now that God has placed you in a position of authority, of demonstrating the Word of God, of teaching the Word of God. Are you pursuing these things, brethren? Righteousness, a right living, because we are declared righteous because of Jesus Christ, and we do righteous, as Schofield will say, because we've been made righteous with God. Our godliness means that everything we do, we reflect our Creator. We reflect our Father. The Bible says in Second Corinthians, remember chapter 5, we are ambassadors as if God were pleading through us. Be ye reconciled to God. Faith, we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love what, what we read in Hebrews regarding faith. Listen to this, brethren. Faith. Faith is something that uh, people wrestle with. You know, Jesus said, have faith in God. And yet, what is faith consists of? He also says in uh, Luke chapter 18, remember when Jesus comes back, will he find faith on the earth? It's faith in re the revealed will of God. This is faith we read in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith is substance of what we hope for. And it's the evidence of things not seen because it's the evidence because it not only produces what we hope for, but it gives us an anchor and we live and we act and we walk as if we have it. You know, now faith is some of things hoped for. We always know that hope in the Bible is a confident expectation and that what God says, he's also going to perform. That's biblical hope, brethren. We don't hope for something, oh, I, I hope and I wish I get it. No, biblical hope, again, is that confident expectation in that what God has said, he is also able and willing to perform. That is biblical hope. As pastors, are we instilling that in our congregation? Love and patience, gentleness. Look at verse 12, brethren. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were called, and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, it's uh, it's something that we we lay hold of. We grab. You know, we're going to see also as we go on in this in these wonderful epistles. Listen to what Paul says about laying hold of eternal life. Listen to this, brethren. We're beginning into it's, it's I'm looking at Second Timothy chapter one. He says this for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. Wow. 
lay hold on eternal life. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called. You know, Jesus said an amazing thing. Many are called, but few are chosen. We have made that choice, brethren. We are confident. I remember when I was first in the faith as a young Christian, my pastor, I admired and I I clung to the fact that when he preached the word of God, when he taught, he did it with authority, but he did it with reverence and he was so assured of what he was was teaching that his life lived it. You know, when we're assured of something, we go with it with everything. We need to be assured. We need to lay hold on eternal life. Fight that good fight. You have an enemy. You know, remember what Peter said about our roaring lion waiting for somebody to devour? You have an enemy out there, brethren. This is a fight that we're in. And this fight consists of the fact that we know our enemy. He says in, in 1 Timothy 5, or excuse me, 1 Peter 5, he says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, they may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Listen to this, brethren. Here's about the, the hold on, fight the good fight of faces. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the scripture says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Fight that good fight of faith, brethren, because you have an enemy that, if he can't, if he can't destroy you, if he can't destroy your soul, what he wants to do is destroy your joy, to take away your joy, your confidence. You know, fear uh, immobilizes any man. Fear immobilizes any man, and that's what our enemy wants to do. He wants to take away our our joy, our confidence. You know, the Apostle Paul loved the word confident, you know. For example, Philippians 1.6, I am confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Fight that good fight of faith. Get into the Word of God. Let it get into you. Remember, brethren, as we look at these things, remember Ephesians chapter 6? I love that verse. Because it tells you that our fight is not against flesh and blood. You know, in chapter 6 of Ephesians verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But what do we wrestle against? The principalities, the powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spirits, hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And we know by the scriptures that when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended far above all principalities and powers. He says that in the first part of this wonderful epistle of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 6, where we've seen that we have been raised with Christ and seated in the heavenly places. So if Christ is raised and seated above all principality and power, in him, brethren, our position is above all principality and power. We have a great position. Lay hold of that. Lay hold of eternal life. 
you know, there's a great, uh, one of the great men of God that I've, I've known. His name is Carl Kirby, great defender of the faith. His, uh, one of his things is always stay bold, stay bold. You know, in other words, he's saying stay confident, stay bold. We have all the reason in the world, brethren, to be bold and no reason at all to be timid and shy and fearful. Because having done this, we can confess the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Think about this. I don't know. I may not agree with that guy, but there is something in him. Something is in us is bold. We know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He says in uh, verse 13, I urge you in the sight of, of God who gives life to all things. And before Jesus Christ, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Now, I want to say a few things about verse 13. Jesus Christ did not flinch before Pontius Pilate. He told the truth. One of the greatest things that this world is screaming out for, brethren, and you can be sure of this, is when Jesus said, all that are with me are on my side of the truth. And Pilate said, what is truth? The world is asking, what is truth? Truth is unbending. Truth is a person. Truth is the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He witnessed that good profession before Pontius Pilate. Then verse 14 says, You can keep this commandment without spot, blameless, until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing. Boy, we'll save the fact of his coming again for another segment. But I want to say something here, brethren. Do you believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he can return at any moment? Because the Bible says by believing in this, we will not shrink away at his coming. We will have confidence and not be ashamed at his coming. Read First John and how many times that the waiting of our Lord Jesus Christ and the expectation that at any time, no prophecy has to be fulfilled until he comes and raptures, catches away his church. We see that uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and many times elsewhere. Paul refers to this so many times in his epistles. So if we keep this blameless, we keep this commandment of, of looking for the Lord, being content in Him, being strong, being bold, laying hold of eternal life, fighting this good fight, being filled with joy, wielding our, 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 the Word of God, our, our sword as, as a master craftsman, and keeping it blameless, that means have no accusations against us that are true from the enemy until our Lord's appearing. Look at verse 15, which He will manifest in His own time, he who is the only blessed and only pontinate or sovereign, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no rivals. <laughs> he is sovereign. He is it. It's going to be a, a grave day when at the end of, of human history as we know it, and that throne is set up. And everything flees away, heaven and earth, and all veils are removed. And God is revealed in who he is, and every unredeemed man and woman will stand before him. We will realize that Jesus Christ is the giver of life. And the blindness 
and everything else, the deceivableness down here that people have, they will see that Satan is out to destroy souls. And if he could keep a soul away from the good news of Jesus Christ, he has won the battle. Or I should say he's won the war because we know that God has won the battle. But brethren, let's love our neighbor. Let's speak the truth. Let's not be holding anything back. Let's not wavering, but be bold. Never, ever turning aside to fables, but always speaking the word of God. Look at verse 16. Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. When I look at all the so-called testimonies and, and books out there that are written about people that have, oh boy, you know, have died and gone to heaven and, and none of them ever match the word of God. In fact, none of them ever match each other. They all have different stories. And, you know, I'm not saying that people haven't died and, and come back. What I am saying, brethren, we cannot rely on those fables and those stories. Because a lot of them have come back and they have a message. That the Lord supposedly sent them back with a message. But the message does not match according to the word of God. We should throw it out. Only believing anything and everything that comes only from the word of God. Because he alone has immortality. He alone dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. You know, I believe it was Chuck Smith several years ago, quite a few years ago, saying that we must be changed. When we become, when the Lord comes in the air to receive his own, the Bible says that we will all be changed in a moment and twinkling of an eye. Listen to this, brethren. Paul says this way, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Speaking about the rapture, the catching away of the church. Listen to this. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on immortality, corruption and this mortal has put on immortality then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory my friend we will have complete release from this life when jesus christ comes back for his own and meets us in the air we shall ever be changed the mortal shall put on immortality the in the corrupted body shall put on incorruption we will be like him, John says in First John. Ah, wow. So don't be fooled by these deceptive accounts, as so many people do. I was hearing of a thing yesterday, or the other day, brethren, about a man who should have known the truth, was deceived by somebody who claimed to be an angel sent from God down here to straighten up the churches and have a message from God. He, this man claimed to be an angel. And you know what the believer's response was when he was confronted with that by another uh, pastor? He says, you should have heard his speech. It was so eloquent. It was so uh, 
you just sort of heard a speech. Is that what the Bible says? No. The Bible says you test all things by the word of God because many deceitful spirits have gone out into the world. Many deceivers. Um, doctrines of devils and demons are out there that have doctrines that speak, supposedly in the name of the Lord. We read about 2 Corinthians chapter 11, how Paul lays that out about false apostles, false teachers are sent by Satan to deceive. Much, much deception out there. Much deception. Wow. He alone has immortality. Verse 16. Again, dwelling in unapproachable light. As again, Chuck Smith was saying, we have to be changed. Because if we, if we appeared before God and we saw him in our mortal state, we would, we would explode. Every duct on our body would explode at his glory. I personally, brethren, doubt some of these, uh, these stories. I want everything to be checked by the word of God. Wow. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Again, as we read that passage in Philippians, he's going to give us all that we need. He's going to supply all that we need, and he holds nothing back. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. He knows what brings you joy, brethren. He knows what you need. Are we teaching that? Are we teaching those that God has graciously put before us to be content and allow God to be God and take care of his own? Let me share something with you about this. You know, about the trust in God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let me read a passage from Jeremiah chapter 9. This is the heart of God. In Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 it reads this. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, listen to this, brethren, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness on the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. You know what he delights in? Knowing him, coming to him with every need that we have, and watching him take care of us, watching him provide for what we need. That is true joy in life. You know, jobs and riches come and go. The Bible says, don't set your eyes on riches. They'll grow wings like eagle and fly away to heaven. Huh. We need to understand these things, brethren. He gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Give, 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 give. Don't hold back, give. Because the more we give, the more God gives to us. If our reservoir is depleted, I remember I was Theodore Epp, I believe. Maybe it was somebody else, but I can't remember. They say, how can you preach three or four times a day, seven days a week? And he says, because what God gives me, I empty out and God fills me up again. 
Don't think that what you have, we have to greedily buy that monkey. Hold on to it or we'll lose it. Give it away. Give away your life. Give away the word of God. Give away the example. God will always fill. He will never leave you without reservoir. He will always fill you, brethren. Wow, that's a great concept. I love that. That is a a precedent in the word of God. Look at verse 19. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they lay, may lay hold on eternal life. That's laying hold on eternal life, brethren, right there. That's what we do to lay hold on that because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things. It's evidence because we have it and we are changed by it and we live by it. It's evidence of the things that we hope for that whatever God said, I know and confident that he will perform. Look at verse 20, brethren. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Avoid the profane and the idle babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be with you. Why have they strayed? Because they relied on something that's falsely called knowledge or philosophy or what have you, uh, apart from the word of God. Do you know something that Jesus Christ will never speak or act on somebody's behalf apart from the word of God. And if we check everything by the word, if we walk according to the word, and if all the voices that we hear that are clamming for our attention, we will know his voice because Jesus said in John 10, I speak to my own, my own follow me because they know my voice. One thing I want to say before we end this segment, brethren, do you realize in verse 20 it says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust? Do you know the gospel was committed to your trust? Do you know the precious word of God is committed to your trust, brethren? Paul says this in the first chapter and the 11th verse, remember? He's talking about liars, fornicators, sodomites, talking to these people. And he said, according to the glorious gospel, this gospel... This message, this word, is committed to you, my friend. To those of us that have taken on this wonderful calling of a pastor, guard what was committed to your trust. Just like Paul said in, in the first chapter and the ninth verse, that this glorious gospel was committed to my trust. You know, when we take the gospel as my gospel, as Paul is fond of saying, according to my gospel, it's an ownership, it's a trust, and we are to guard it with everything that we have, brethren. Let's guard and expose those that, that water it down, those that change it, those that that make it, you know, seem to say something that it's not. Remember first Corinthians or sec, yeah, first Corinthians fifteen. I get excited about this. Remember Paul said what the gospel is is that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. By this we stand, by this we are saved. Oh, guard what was committed to you, brethren. Avoid the profane and the idle babblings and contradictions of what's falsely called knowledge. Avoid all that. Don't even give it a second thought. When you know that people want to argue and, and, and how is this and, and make 
divisions and whatever. We are to avoid that, to stand strong in the word of God. Oh, the Lord is so glorious. And you will realize in that day, when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are going to realize what he has done for us. I want to end today, brethren, by just encouraging you. Just encouraging you what Peter had wrote at the end of his first epistle. Listen to this. He said, The elders who are among you I exhort. I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Listen to this. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion but willingly, not for dishonest gain but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Did you notice that, brethren? That was First Peter chapter 5, the first four verses. You will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. We have that calling, brethren. And I, I just admonish you to watch over it with everything that you have. God bless you. It's been a great time with you. And I look forward to our next time when they, we enter in to the book of Titus. God bless you, brethren. Understand uh, his sheep, and he does. He knows us very, very well. And I look forward to this segment um, as we proceed, brethren.